0: Welcome back to Tex Catherine. everybody. I'm going to turn my mic up now. Good to to be back. Jason, how are you doing?
1: Pretty good. How are you doing, Mark?
0: I am living the dream, brother, living the dream. We have got a guest back with us that we haven't had on since back when we were doing TradMen. And even in those days, she was on in the earlier days of TradMen. And we are so blessed to welcome back our good friend and friend of the show, Amanda Lauer. Welcome back to the show.
2: Thank you for having me. Appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. And for those of you who have not seen that episode, definitely go back and check it out. But just a quick introduction. um, Amanda was always an avid reader as a child, um, and she is an award-winning author and journalist um, and is the creator of the Heaven Intended Civil War series, Um, A World Such as Heaven... I'm sorry, A World Such as, as Heaven... Intended won the 2016 Kala Award, and a freedom such as heaven intended earned the 2022 Catholic Media Book Awards first place Catholic novel inspirational. Uh, Lauer's journey into the time travel genre began with her 2021 novel Anything But Groovy, and you can learn more about her website or on about her on her website at AmandaLauer.com. We're gonna be talking today about her newest novel uh, called *Royal and Ancient*. I have a, a a a snapshot here of the. Well, goodness gracious! I had it here. Of the cover. What of the cover? And what did I do? Here we go. Uh, beautiful artwork and. Mm-hmm. I was gonna I, say it's
1: a very nice uh, cover.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is. It's very, it's very beautiful. And of course, when I first read the title, the first thing that came to my mind as an avid golfer was the old course at St Andrews, which is called the Royal and Ancient uh, uh, St Andrews Society, I believe it's called. Very, it, it, this is basically the birthplace of, of golf. This is where the game was, as we know it today, was invented. And if you go there today, and I have not been, it still looks at least the old course does much in the same way it did back in ancient times. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And, and one of the questions I had uh, about St. Andrews and it's, um, it being involved in the book was, I was just kind of curious, Amanda, are you, are you a golf fan? Do you play golf? Or is it just something that you happen to a time in history that you happen to pick?
2: I love golf. That being said, I need a lot more practice.
1: <laughs> Don't <So> we all think <laughs> that'll happen in the future.
2: <laughs> but I just feel like golf courses, it's just it's God's country. It's they're so Ooh. beautiful and peaceful. And there's really no bad day on a golf course for me. I mean, of course you have some bad shots, but I just I'm so happy. We just had a golf outing this past weekend which was so much on. I particularly like scrambles because it's best ball. Sure. So that's really where I shine because I can never outdrive the guys on our team. I know that, which is fine. But my short game was really good, and my putting is really good. So they appreciate having me on the team, which I like.
0: Well, that's the great thing about scrambles and about team golf is everybody has strengths in their game, and everybody has weaknesses in their game. And if you're a member of a team, somebody who's really good off the tee – and Mm -hmm. like i myself i'm better on the short game and and putting than i am um my second shot is just terrible it's always (laughs) just i have not mastered the irons yet but i agree with you there's something about the game of golf that um and we just did a show recently where we we made some connections between the spiritual life and the game of golf and um so i was very excited to read this but also the period in history that we explore in this book is of particular interest to me growing up, uh, Irish Catholic and having family that, uh, comes from the North of Ireland. We are very familiar with the history of 1690 William of orange, the, the so-called glorious revolution in England. Um, and, uh, so that was a particular interest to me. And I, I will try not to do any spoilers here. Okay. Um, so, but, you know, nonetheless, to give a brief gist of this um, and, you know, feel free to interrupt me anywhere where I got this wrong, because I did kind of read in a hurry here. Okay. Um, a young girl works at St. Andrews and finds herself in, you know, this is a time travel ty- you know, style story and finds herself in the lowlands of Scotland in 1691.
2: Okay, well I'll stop you right there. Okay, she's working at St. Andrews in the United States. So oh, I missed
0: that. Okay, yeah, so St.
2: Andrews—it looks very similar to the one in Scotland, but it's it's a replica basically in the United States. And so, if you want me to kind of give the, the quick summary. Sure, sure, yeah. Basically, she's 17 years old, driving the drink cart around the course, selling drinks, and there's a, a golf scramble that day, and it's Heritage Day. So all the guys and gals are dressed in Scottish clothing, the kilts for the guys and such. And a storm is brewing. She sees a club on the fringe, the 17th green. She runs to grab it because somebody obviously left it there. And she gets struck by lightning. And when she wakes up, she's still on the 17th green. She looks around. It looks exactly like, like it was. But it turns out it's, it's the 17th green at Royal an ancient saint andrews in scotland and it's in the year 1691 and she's surrounded by four men one young man his dad and and two other men who are actually from 1691 and are scottish and that's where the adventure begins where she and finds in scotland
0: inter- years ago and we're introduced very early to the fact that she's a roman catholic Yes. And if you know anything about the history of the, the so-called Glorious Revolution, sometimes called the Bloodless Revolution, although the Irish have a, a particular uh, qualm with that name, um, you know that finding, uh, being a devout Catholic and finding yourself in Scotland in 1691 is, uh, shall we say, a precarious situation.
2: Exactly. Talk,
0: talk to us a little bit about that history and how you came to, what, what is it, what it was that inspired you to explore this, this period in history?
2: Well, I'll, I'll start in general with myself. So you, you said you were Irish Catholic basically, mm-hmm. right? Like right. Me. So my dad is Cat is Irish Catholic and his, his parents are from Ireland. My godfather still has a home in Ireland. So we've been there. So I knew what half of me was I never knew what the other half of me was because my mom had never met her birth father she never knew him and he's been gone a long time but how I I always had an affinity for everything Scottish and I didn't know why I thought no oh, yeah like Irish things why not Scottish right well through ancestry.com just in the last couple of years we figured out we found out who my mom's birth father was and he's scottish and english okay and so that just completed the puzzle for me so the interesting thing with this book in general is i started writing this book nine or ten years ago and for some reason it just kept getting pushed to the back burner of course at that time i didn't really realize my own heritage but i always knew i wanted to do i love golf and i thought it'd be so fun to incorporate it into a book and I love the fact that, you know, they have so much information about the oldest golf course in the world. So I want to incorporate that into the story. When I first started writing, I didn't know exactly. I knew it was going to be a couple hundred years ago in time. So I started studying the history of Scotland to see if there was any significant events that I could tie into the story. Mm. And that's when I ran across an event called the Glencoe Massacre. And I I did incorporate it into the story, but just to give a little bit about this so in the, the late 1600s in scotland catholicism was banned and they wanted all the clans to sign an oath to the king of england that they would basically have their allegiance to the church of england and most of them did but not everybody did and one of the clans that hadn't was the MacDonald clan and they're not 100 sure why they hadn't signed this oath If they were on their way to do it and got waylaid or something and so someone turned them in and they basically many of the leaders of the mcdonald clan were slain in the glencoe massacre which was in february of 1692 and so that's where this whole story how she gets involved so our, our protagonist is bronwyn And the young man she meets is is Ian. His father, Gregor MacDonald, is the head of the, the, the MacDonald clan. Basically, they describe him almost as the king of Scotland, if there would have been such a thing at the time. He was that high up in the rank. And so the Glencoe massacre figures in later into the book. So a lot of the beginning of the book is centered on the fact that you have this Poor young girl coming from the United States. It's been thrown back 300 years in time. Obviously, technology, everything is different. She meets this young man, and he's very interesting to her. She, she definitely develops a crush on him, per se. It is a clean, sweet romance, so you got to have that. But she doesn't know his background. I don't want to give a, a whole lot about the story, but basically, people who were Catholic, they either pretended, well, they either did the oath to the, the King of England or to the Church of England, or they did the oath, not really meaning it, like they did it for show, but didn't really mean it. Or some right. people didn't, didn't do the oath. And some people were still practicing Catholicism underground. And that's basically what the McDonald family was doing. They had a priest on their land. He looked like a handyman or something. He was dressed that way. But he would do mass in a safe room, basically, in their manner. And so... kind of interesting thing with the story is you have a, a girl who's gone to Catholic schools went through grade school Catholic schools she's being raised by a single father she doesn't have any siblings her dad was in the Air Force so they they relocated every one to two years so she's not really set down roots and then she falls back in time to this beautiful big family the McDonald family and she not only does like falls in love with Ian McDonald, but also his whole family. She just loves the dynamics, how much interaction they have with each other, how they eat together every night, and how close they are. And she learns to love the Catholic faith. It wasn't that she didn't care for it before or whatever, but she was just kind of nominally Catholic. These people were so devoted to the faith that they were willing to die. They were willing to become martyrs for the faith. That's how important it was. And I think when she realizes how important it is to that family, she really looks into it closer and discovers what a beautiful faith it is. And it is worth dying for. And so, yeah, so the the story isn't necessarily all gloom and doom, you know, obviously that the massacre happens towards the end of the book, but it's just, it's, there's a lot of fun interactions. You, you have a, gentleman a young man from the 1600s and obviously they have different attitudes about relationships and you have this young girl from modern-day America so she kind of teaches him him some things which would be more like soft skills like um, how guys treat women differently in this day and age than they did and she learns a lot from him not only about the faith but from her his mother as well because since she was there his mother Took her under her wing and taught her the skills that young Scottish girls needed to know in the day which was how to run a household how to run Mm. a manor, and there were so many things that she needed to learn and she was just like fascinated how much how much women could do that women in this day and age would couldn't even imagine you know whether Mm. it's you know preparing food literally from scratch whether it's slaughtering and, and preserving food and and coordinating large banquets especially with the you know being the, the clan leader um so she learned a lot and it wasn't just like the book learning she had that but she also did learn a lot about the history of Scotland too because the young man she meets Ian she comes to discover that his education has basically been in a monastery or a seminary a what what the wealthy families did in Scotland is when Catholicism was banned, they sent their sons to the continent to go to school in monasteries and seminaries, usually like Spain or France or places where the Catholic Church was still allowed. So that's where he got his education. So that's, that's where kind of a conflict comes in with them as well, because she doesn't know if he intends to actually follow through and become a priest or a monk. Or if he's going to follow in his father's footsteps and become the clan leader, so
0: yeah. And, and just to sort of put this in some context for those of you who don't know this history, is 1690. Um, you know, since Henry VIII uh, apostated and became a Protestant, the throne of England um, had kind of gone back and forth between Catholic and Protestant, Catholic and Protestant, Catholic and Protestant. And these resulted in um, it resulted in a lot of societal upheaval in in Britain at the time. What happens in 1690 is the issue is settled once and for all, and the Protestants will win this one. William of Orange will come and become the King of England from the Netherlands, and will it will become a sort of this is where the the, the constitutional rule comes in that the monarch of England must be a Protestant, okay? for protestants in particularly in the north of ireland they celebrate this event with great fanfare every year and this is sort of seen as this event in 1690 is sort of seen as the uh, impetus for all the religious strife in ireland that will follow and william of orange to this day is very much celebrated in, amongst protestants in northern ireland as a hero so when i when i when I opened this book and I saw where she finds herself, I went, oh, boy,
2: um, this <laughs> we'll is, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, and and it was so interesting because I think in that atmosphere of persecution, um, you know, you really do, you gain a new appreciation for what it means to really live your faith. And mm-hmm. not that I've ever gone through it, not that I don't, I don't know that any of us have ever gone through persecution quite like that. Uh, but it literally meant your life. Um, yeah. they they were not playing around for sure. Um, so yeah. I really appreciate that you dug into that history. It was very fascinating. Thank you. I
2: noticed it's a couple the- people were like asking questions or something. I, yeah. I didn't them. did someone say something about the Habsburgs?
1: I yeah, know. I think one of them asked, uh, are you a Habsburg? Are you royalty? Am I? No. Yeah. <laughs> but
2: the very interesting thing about that is I'm good friends with one of the Habsburgs. So Archduke Edward Habsburg and I are friends, and we've actually we went to a Latin mass together in Washington DC about oh I think it was two years ago. Wow. And yeah, how we met is that his daughter is a teenager. She's in college now in the United States, but he lives in Rome because he's the ambassador to the Holy See. And uh, she says, I'm her favorite author. And so we kind of became friends through his daughter. And when he, his great, great uncle, I believe is um, Blessed Carl, who's um, on the way to sainthood. And so Blessed Carl's feast day, if I remember from heart, I think is October 17th. And so he was flying into the United States to go to mass and do this feast day and do presentation on his uncle. And we were invited to go. And it was a really, really neat experience. And um, we've been like good friends ever since. I gave him a a ton of books from uh, Catholic teen books because he's got six kids and I think five are daughters and they all love to read. So that was kind of a neat experience and kind of a cool experience, too, when I was there at Mass with him is he was sitting at Mass next to Calissa Ginrich, who was an ambassador too, to the Holy See. And then Calissa and I struck up a friendship and we traded books so she writes children's books and I write teen books and we've been friends ever since. As a matter of fact, if you look on the front cover of Royal Ancient, that beautiful endorsement is from Calissa Gingrich. Interesting. So wife.
1: Yeah. And, and she's also a good friend of uh, Trevor from Tridentine oh. Brewery. That's because I
2: believe I met Trevor was yeah. at, at that event because yeah. he was, um, handing out beer. Yep, yeah. I don't drink beer. My husband got one. And, uh, that's how we met, became friends. So it's kind of interesting how the circle of life, right? How you, right, how you yeah. meet all these people, various. I always feel it's like God is, you know, sending me off in these various directions to have all these experiences, which I completely appreciate.
1: Yeah. yeah God is good. Um, I, I, I did want a uh, thought that kind of came up uh, when you were um, talking about the history, the research and all that that you did for this book that is real history that you've incorporated into a fiction work. It reminded me of our first interview because I, I guess technically you, you're, you're labeled as a young, young uh, author, right? Like a young kid, young, young children adult author. author. Yeah. yeah, young adult. That's what I'm looking for. Young adult author, you know preteens, teens and stuff like that. But, you know, your discussion here with Mark on the history shows that there's a lot of material in here, even, even for, you know, uh, uh adults, they can not only yeah. learn history, but they can do it in a fun way as well. So the, your books may be labeled for young adults, but they're actually, as we discussed, uh, in the first, uh, episode we did with you, um, really anybody can open these books yeah. and read them
0: for sure I, it was a page turner for me and and you know i must admit i was not initially expecting that it's just not my genre you know um but when i it, it was a page turner and uh yeah I, I really enjoyed it so i think it yeah. and one of the things that i do like that you you've explored in this book and others is a a a, a wholesome romantic story that um I think is so missing in the world today i think romantic love in our society is such has such a warped uh you know view especially as it's presented it's so in media yeah. it's so disordered especially yeah. as it's presented in media to young adults
2: right and, and well, it, yeah, yeah i ahead. didn't address that well first Please. i'll go back to the ya when i first write it started writing the books I, I love history and I especially love war history, which is maybe unusual for women, but I do. I love Civil War, World War One, World War II and way back. And I write stories where I take real events in history and I weave in people that are fictional but they have some connection to real people, historic figures. So that's that's that. When I first started writing, my books were just considered typical historic romance, they weren't considered YA. The reason I got pegged into YA, and it's a blessing, totally God thing here, is my publisher had two books that were up for the Kayla Award in 2016. So two in their fold. And one was definitely an adult book, not for kids at all. And then she had mine. And she said, would you mind if i called you a ya author so we can put you in a different category so you're not competing against each other two authors from the same publisher i said yeah i don't i don't mind because my protagonists they're usually around 17 years old i just love that age group anyhow and so since then i've been writing you know what they call ya and so yeah and then what were you saying too I kind of went off on a tangent? I was answering too early. No, that's questions. okay.
0: We're talking about the 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 wholesome pre- presentation of yes. Catholic courtship or, yep. Yep, or yep, and how sure. romantic love is sort of uh, is presented. Yeah. It was really, really inspiring.
2: And to go on to that topic, so I was first introduced to historical romance when I was like in eighth grade mm. by my mom. And I was just with her a few few minutes ago, not too long ago. And I mean, I love I love the genre. But at that time, they were what they called bodice rippers. So talking about getting an education, right? I love the stories, but I didn't want to see the behind the scenes. I didn't want to see all that. I just wanted sweet romances. I couldn't find them, especially as you know, in high school. I I couldn't find anything like that. And I had this thought in my head, someday I would like to write a book. And I would like to make it a sweet historical romance. Just a sweet, you know, like courting where they were courting each other, you know, that type of romance. And I thought, if I ever write a book, I want to write one that my children can read and my grandchildren can read. And I'm going to feel proud that they're reading, not embarrassed that they're reading because it's, you know, racy or something like that. And really, the only reason I even ended up writing a book is because I have had a career as a journalist for the last 20 years writing for a Catholic newspaper here in Wisconsin in a catholic owned business newspaper and just happened to run into a person and his wife was a writer and she challenged me to start writing and just exchange a chapter every month of a book that we were both writing and if it hadn't been for that accountability partner i never would have written anything i can tell you that because time just evaporates you're always busy doing something or other right so that and really when i wrote that first book which was A World Such as Heaven Intended, the first book in the Civil War series. Well, that one was based on a true story. So I had all the guy that, a really interesting Civil War story, my friend's great, great uncle. We had all his letters from the front. We had his uniform. We had his picture. We had everything. So that was the kernel of that story. But after that, I said, I'm done. You know, I wrote a book. I can go back to being a journalist and my life is complete, right? No. a week later, people are like, when is the sequel coming out? <laughs> I'm like, there is no sequel. Oh my gosh, it took six years to get this thing out. But you know, God just nudged me and said, "This is what you're supposed to be doing." So for the last, really, since 2014, the first book was was came out. So in the last nine years, well, actually, I've written nine books in nine years. I can't even believe that. <laughs> I remember when my first book came out, and I was talking to my husband, and I was like, "Do you know this person wrote?" 12 books oh my gosh (laughs) i can't even fathom writing 12 books in my lifetime it's just like unbelievable and now
1: you're sniffing their coattails
2: (laughs) yeah and here i am book 11 i'm writing right now and book 12 i'll be writing after the first of the year i'm just like i can't even but the the coolest thing is because i said i wanted my kids to read the books my grandkids well all four of our kids have read every one of my books And it's such a blessing. I mean, they're so supportive. I love it. And my husband, like you said, that you don't generally read romance books or whatever historical romance. He doesn't. Generally, he's reading a lot of business books, that kind of stuff. But he loves my books. And and I don't think he's just being nice. I think he really thinks I'm a good writer and he enjoys the stories. So it's so gratifying that they're reading. But this summer, even a neater story is our 10-year-old grandson. So he's the oldest... Our eighth grandchild is arriving next week. Congratulations.
0: Congratulations.
2: <laughs> Super excited about that. So our oldest grandson read one of my books this summer. He read Anything But Groovy, which was a time travel where my supposed 13-year-old daughter gets hit in the head and falls back into 1974 and has to live my seventh grade life. <laughs> and he read it over the summer and he loved it. And it was just such a neat moment. Like, this is really what I've been wanting all these years. And I'm just I'm so happy and I'm so blessed because God gave me this talent and I feel like I'm, I try to do everything for the glory of God. So I feel like I'm on, on the right path and I'm going the right, right direction, mm-hmm. but I just take it one, one book at a time. So like I said, I have those next two up. And after that, the agenda is open. Maybe so, I'll be. Yeah,
1: and, and, <laughs> and I would, nice Well, I, I just wanted to add real quick. I mean, yeah, I think obviously you are doing good things with your work. It's, you know, it's a, it's a form of evangelization as well. Right. Um, And, and I think, I think you're doing a great job with it because my, my oldest daughter is a lot like, like you are, like you were where she really enjoys those. I don't know if she's as much into the historical romance, but she's really into the love stories and the romantic, romantic type books. So obviously as parents, we, it's, it's hard to filter. There's so much out there. So we're constantly filtering. And a lot of times we're saying no to books because we just don't know. Um, so, you know, she was able to read, of course, your, your books and there's another, um, I can't think of her name, but there was another Catholic, uh, uh, romance author that she loved her books as well. So th- th- there's a few of you out there that do really good work. And like Mark was saying, it's, it's not a, it's a wholesome romance. It's not like this disordered, lustful, uh, uh disordered passion type a romance where there's adultery fornication oh, all right. these yeah. sexual sins and all that right um it's like you mentioned like you just want to show hey look there there's a budding romance but you're not you're not trying to go into details with with all that because it's it's really not important to the to the story itself right and 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 I think that it you provide a great avenue for young girls such as my daughter and as you were when you were that age to fulfill. Uh, this desire to read about romance and, and, and romantic stories without polluting their minds because romance in its proper context and love in its proper context are beautiful things that God has given us. And, okay. um, and the world is just not seeing that through the mass media.
2: I know. I agree. I'm, I'm glad they're out there. And you mentioned other Catholic writers. Well, I'm in the Catholic Writers Guild. And I have a lot of friends who write in all different genres, but a lot of them write these sweet romances. Right now, off the top of my head, I'm thinking of Leslie Wall, and she's a dear friend of mine, and I love her stories. And we are like the, we are the biggest fangirls of each other. I love her stories. She loves my stories. They're just so sweet. And I'm like, oh, to be in high school and have those sweet romances, I just I just love them. They're just so fun. Hers are modern day, so they're different, but they're just sweet. And, yeah, there's a lot of writers – I have a bookshelf behind me filled with a lot of Catholic, you know, authors. We all become friends. We trade books with each other. We support each other. And it's it's kind of interesting because a lot of times when people think of Catholic fiction, they go all the way back like 100 years or something. Yeah, I know there were some, obviously, some classic writers back then, but I don't think they realize that modern day writers there's a lot of talented people out there with a lot of really neat stories to tell so hopefully we get the word out to to check out if you go to the catholic writers guild there's a lot of authors on there and like I said all different genres um yeah one well, I- of the things
0: that i liked about the way this story approached this topic was you know courtship is is very much a discernment of a vocation right and and exactly and in this situation, we have a young man who is discerning, discerning his vocation either to the priesthood or to the married life. And I think that's important because young people, I don't feel, are, are encouraged to discern enough about what it is that they want, not only what it is they want to do with their life, but what is it that God has uh, in store for you? What is, what is the plan that God has for you? Mm-hmm. So when we approach it from this way, we're not um, we're not limiting young people to uh, uh, to make life altering decisions at such young ages. It's very much an exploration of purpose, uh, yeah. which I really enjoyed. And and the cultures out there that still do formal courtship, I, I read a staggering statistic um, and these are all mostly religious cultures—observant uh, Catholics, you know, uh, like Orthodox Jews or, or, or what have you. Their divorce rates are like less than four percent. Wow, that's incredible.
2: Yeah, that's right there as testimony that they're onto something, right?
0: Indeed. Can I ask a question about how you craft a story? Because I'm always interested, and everybody does this a little bit different. Do you yep. know? How the story is going to end before you start writing? Or is this very much the plot develops for you as you're writing it? And you don't necessarily know how the story is going to end when you start the book.
2: Well, what I know is there's going to be a young man and a young woman. (laughs) They're going to be late teens. I know that's how it's going to start. There's going to be a lot of conflict in the middle. And they're going to be happy in the end. That's yeah. all I know when I start. People say you're either a panster or a plotter. I'm not a plotter at all. I, When I start a book, I literally start the very first sentence. I may have six sentences in a notebook or something of general ideas. Uh, this is the year it's going to be. This is the, the state or the country it's going to be set in. That's about it. I have a very unusual do- way of doing this. And I rely heavily on the Holy Spirit and my guardian angel. So what I do is every day I want to write one at least one chapter when I'm working on a manuscript. That night before the night before when I go to bed as I'm going to sleep I have the certain prayers that I go through. I do the acts prayer if you know what that is. And after I get done with that, then I pray to the Holy Spirit and to my guardian angel and I say I need to know what's going to happen tomorrow in this chapter because I don't know. Mm-hmm. And Work on this overnight while I sleep and just let me know in the morning what's going to happen. What inevitably happens is I either wake up in the morning, well, sometimes in the, the night or I wake up in the morning and something pops into my head or else when I'm in the shower, I seem to get lots of ideas in the shower. That's where I got titles to books. I got all sorts of things. It, it works like a charm, and, and I can't even explain it. It's the craziest thing. People who, who plot their books out probably are like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. I would never do that. But it works for me. And that way I really feel like I'm on the right path that God wants me to go because literally I'm getting the word of God through the Holy Spirit, <laughs> through my guardian angel. It just it just works so well. And it's the craziest thing that they put in my head that I would never, as a matter of fact, I said, I just started writing um, a book. So this would be book number 11. I just started last week. And it's the sixth book in my Civil War series, and I was just literally writing the first chapter, and the ideas just started coming into my head that the heritage of the young lady who's going to be the star of this book, what her what her dad was like, where where her parents immigrated from, how her dad was killed, and how she, be, you know, all that stuff just, like, came to me like that. And I, I'm just, like, astounded. You know, it works for me. It might not work yeah. for everybody, but I recommend it.
0: Well, the characters are so well-developed, and that, that's one of the things that uh, surprises me about your method is, I mean, it, it, there's clearly some sort of inspiration uh, outside of you that's doing this, because I, I don't know that, I mean, and granted, I'm not much of a writer. I've always kind of wanted to be, but I, I, I have trouble crafting a story, and so I'm really interested in that. One of the things that I think always makes a great story is good characters. And um, and your characters are very well um, fleshed out, so to speak. You you get a sense that they're real people. They have they have things that you like about them, and then there are flaws. And, yes. and you know,
2: everybody that, has flaws.
0: Yeah, and and I really appreciate you exploring that.
2: Yeah. And
1: what? and and she and it seems like you also do a good job of showing. You know, like Mark's talking about the formation and development of your of your characters. You show how their Catholic faith transformed them many times in positive uh cases and in the ones that i've seen yeah
2: yeah well what i can say a couple things to address that as far as the catholic faith all my characters it's kind of a matthew kelly thing they're trying to be a better version of themselves every day that's built into them they want to be better people they they do they're striving they want to get to heaven they want their loved ones to get to heaven so i i kind of build that into everybody but how i actually develop my characters there's a specific thing that i do so my husband and i were trained to be bank facilitators and it's not like banking it's b-a-m-k which is an acronym b stand there the four personality types you know how people have all those different otters and whatever the things this one is so simple b is blueprint a is action n is nurture and k is knowledge so everybody has the one that's the strongest for them so what I do with with all my main characters is I I give them I do an assessment a bank assessment to know what their main character type is like. So I don't want my my female protagonist and the male protagonist to be exactly the same. That'd be boring. They have to you have to have that conflict. Yeah, it makes for sure. great conversations. These back and forth conversations that they have that people seem to enjoy. So I usually try to make them somewhat opposite. So if, if a person is a B a blueprint everything is black and white. They usually go into professions like, you know, accounting and things like that. And then action people are A. They make super quick decisions. They love to be the in the limelight. They talk fast. They think fast. They love flashy things. And then you have the N, which is the nurture, and they just want us all hold hands and sing Kumbaya. And then you got the K, which is the knowledge people. Most of the people that make our modern world go around, right? So the interesting thing is I get, and everybody has some of the B-A-N-K, but they're in different order, whatever your strongest is to your weakest. But even back 100, 200, 300 years ago, even if they don't have the technology, everybody still had had the personality traits. And so that's what makes it so fun to write these books. Because sometimes when I'm just developing these characters, I'll... I'll change their, I'll, I'll change the code. They're B-A-N-K and then they're B-K-N-A and then they're, you know, then they're AK an A-K-N, you know, I keep sure. switching around to I figure out what actually feels best for me. And it really is fun when they're complete opposites. Like my fifth book in my civil war series comes out November 17th and it's called a faith such as heaven intended. The guy is a complete K like he beat be, he and like Spock would be best friends. Right. But back in the day so at age 14, he was in medical school already. Okay. And this was back in South Carolina during the civil war before the civil war broke up. And she is like an, a, an action person. So, so they actually end up meeting in Gettysburg. He's a Southern surgeon. He's all of like 18 years old. He's a surgeon. Right. And she's, <laughs> you know, 16 or 17 years old. And she's the A, the action person. So when her brothers ship off to the war and the only boy in her entire class, you know, they went to a one-room schoolhouse. She decides she's going to ship off to the war and she pretends to be a like a, a drummer boy and follows them on the train to Gettysburg, which is probably the last uh, place you want to be in July of eighteen.
0: Indeed, yeah. Especially <laughs> if you're a Confederate so, soldier.
2: Oh my gosh. And so she ends up, becoming a, a litter bear basically during the war because or during that battle because you know all all the drummer boys were actually sent out into the field to bring the, the bodies back to surgery mm-hmm. or to the morgue. And so she ends up doing that, meets this guy, but their personalities clash continually because he's so methodical thinking. And he thinks she's completely nuts. Like why are you here? Right? And she, she thinks it's perfectly logical. Because I want to I'm here. This is where the action is, right? So wow. that's what makes it so fun. So I love using that that bank system uh, because it's it's just a really quick, easy way to categorize people and again, it makes conflict, and you know it's boring if two people are exactly the same, like sure in books at least in real life, I'm sure it's fine Even though no, I, should... I
0: think there's that you we we need that complementarity of 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 personalities. I think you know, goodness gracious, I know my wife and I are um. Well, we've talked about this. We've said, you know, in many ways um, we do complement our, my strengths and her weaknesses and vice versa. But the one thing that we're, that makes it this work is we both share the same core values. Oh, you know? absolutely.
2: Oh, I agree. And, yeah.
0: Yeah, I was gonna so say, that's,
2: My husband and I too, because he, he's the bee, he's the blueprint, uh, thinks very mechanically, researches everything to death, you know, like, oh my gosh. We bought e-bikes this, this spring and I thought we were, he was never going to stop watching YouTube videos on e-bikes, but we do have them in our garage and also it's good. I'm the you, want to, you want to
0: talk about a blueprinter? my wife. So today I had my annual physical. My wife sends me to the doctor with a list of things. She's like, okay, here are all the things I want you to talk about with your doctor. Don't forget this. Don't forget this. Don't forget yeah. this. She booked the appointment for me. Okay. She. If you would have told me, that, I mean, if
1: you would have told me you were going there, I'd have given you a list too. <laughs> it would probably been different than your wife's, but yeah, give you, you should you a list. see us
0: go on vacation. She's got the okay. binder. Oh, with yeah. All the things. And me, I'm the guy who, well, how are we going to get there? I don't know. We'll figure it out. You know,
2: <laughs> that's know, part of I, the
0: adventure for me.
2: I'm the A person in the person in the couple here. So I probably drive my husband crazy because I make super quick decisions and I'm fine with them. I make right. them whatever I make. It's good. We're, we're good to go. Um, but we do compliment each other and yeah, our morals. We completely agree on that. Both of us born and raised Catholic. And so when you have that common ground between you, it, it, you can work anything out, so it's it's working, and we're helping each other. The areas that I'm kind of weak in, like analyzing things and stuff like that, he's great at that, and I'm better in the the soft skills as far as like the nurturing and stuff. And he he always says, I always come up with these great ideas, like oh, we should send that person a card because someone passed away or something, and you're the person who actually does it because I have that <laughs> in me. So yeah, it works. <laughs>
0: yeah, absolutely
2: um so you've got a new
0: book coming out in november yes okay and this is going to be part of the civil war trilogy not trilogy i'm sorry a civil war series
2: yeah yeah actually there's going to be six books in the end okay so this is a faith such as heaven intended and the sixth book this is another really neat thing in my life so our 10 our year old grandson uh he's an avid reader and he asked me about two years ago, and he said, Grandma, I want you to write a book, and I want to be the hero in your book. So I'm like, oh, so sweet. Aww. So last spring, I think we, you know, he lived in another state. So we were together, and we actually had an hour to sit down. And I said, here's a bunch of ideas. We could be castle days. It could be modern. It could, I'll write whatever you want me to write. And he said, Grandma, I want to be in your Civil War series. I want to be a hero in your Civil War series. Cool, his name, Joseph. So this book, he he won't be watching this interview. But the name of the book is "A Hero Such as Heaven Intended." So he, yeah, oh, he won't crazy. he won't see this interview. I'm sure he's only ten. But <laughs> I'm I'm super excited about that. And that's the one I'm writing right now. And it's really neat to put him as the hero, Joseph. And it, there's so many twists and turns. Like I said, God's just giving me all these great ideas, or the Holy Spirit. Well,
0: I, I, now that's the other thing. I'm glad, so glad you brought this up because there's another theme, not just romance and love in the book. There's a, there's a theme of heroism, right? True, authentic Christian heroism. One of the great movies, and, and every guy loves this movie is Braveheart, right? Guys all, guys all love Braveheart. What do they love about that movie? What is it about that movie? And it is such a great example of authentic Christian heroism. I know, I know there's some other stuff in the movie that's not that great, but um, the the idea of self-sacrificial heroism Mm -hmm. and the imitation Mm -hmm. of Christ. Talk to us a little bit about your idea of heroism and how you approach that as a writer because you, you do such a great job with that.
2: Thank you. Well, first I have to say, because you brought the gray part up. So the book Royal and Ancient that's coming out. So this is my first time with Chrism Press. All my other books are with full quiver publishing with Ellen Herkash up in Canada. Well, Ellen Gable is her writing name. But so this is my first time with a bigger publisher. And so the, they it's a whole different game Mm. the levels of copy editing and and such it's amazing though it's really raising the bar as a writer you know i'm thrilled to be working with them i love both of my publishers by the way but the interesting thing is they actually have a launch team i've never had a launch team so the book is coming out next tuesday and the the head of the launch team contacted me last week and she gave me a list of things i need to do before next tuesday And one of them was I had to come up with a Spotify playlist for Royal and Ancient. Hmm. My go-to CDs are Braveheart Mm. and Rob Roy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's
2: my Spotify playlist. I picked up my favorite songs from those two soundtracks. I love the movie Braveheart. I love Rob Roy, too. I don't like the violent parts. But, yeah, talk about heroes. There's just something... Oh, I don't even know how to really say it like endearing or I know I look at my husband. A lot of my the men in my books are kind of like modeled after my husband because he's my hero. I think he's amazing. Oh yeah. And even when there's, you know, spiders and things, he comes to my rescue. <laughs> <laughs> he saved my life, you know. We don't live in Texas, so we don't have like snakes or anything, but we have enough things like that. But I just I it's just so neat to write about people who are Heroic, who put other people's lives ahead of their own, and really think of the bigger picture in life—not just mm-hmm. the small things, but look at the bigger picture. Even the people who had have been martyred for our faith, and I'm sure they didn't want to have to go through that, but when they saw the bigger picture that they could save lives or they could keep the church going, I just love the whole concept. And. I'm I'm a sucker for a a really wonderful hero in a book. So it's so much fun to write about them. And again, everybody has their quirks. Everybody has their not so great traits, but these these wonderful traits like heroism, those are the overreaching ones that actually that's the real person. And they're trying to become better people, which I, I love just doing the character arcs where people aren't just straight, the same person, the whole thing. Even the bad people, like when, let's say my next book, The the Hero Such as Heaven Intended, well, the, the heroine in that book actually was the bad girl from the first book. So
0: interesting. That. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you
2: that, it's Teresa was the one. Well, I won't, won't, I won't give it. She basically killed. Well, she did kill somebody. So she, that, she, she definitely had some issues. But she is going to have a major character arc where she's going to see that life isn't all about being a debutante and being the Southern Belle and being all the things that she thought she wanted to be. There was more to life than that. So I like writing about heroines as well. So.
0: And, that, and I love that that she has that character arc because that's so true to life. People are not all bad or all good. There's They're complicated. Absolutely. Oh, for sure. And
2: that's, yeah. When I write my, even the, there's always a bad guy. Every book has a bad guy, right? Sure. (laughs) Um, But there's a reason they are who they are. And I try to delve into that because no one is born evil or bad. I don't think. I think babies are innocent and beautiful. It's the things in life that happen to them that shape them to become the people they are. And I think it's really interesting because even the bad guys in some of the books, you see, they have a soft side to them. They have something that they've all their mamas, or they, they've they always been sweet on some girl or, or something or other. They have that soft spot. And it's their decisions that determine how they're, the course of their life, what's going to happen, and it's not always good.
0: And, I think um, of Darth yeah, Vader. Was, Darth Vader's a great example of a villain, okay. of, a, of a great villain, and he's a universally beloved character, probably the, the most favorite character in that star Wars franchise because of that, that origin story and that redemption arc and things like that. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, definitely. I'm sorry, Jason, I I cut you off.
1: No, you're good. I I was just going to add, like, if I may go off course here for just a minute, but it, but it relates to to what you're talking about, you know, about the nature of people and, you know, there's, there's good in, in all people. Right. Mm -hmm. I know uh, I've, been involved with the colby prison ministry several times where we would go we will actually go into the prison uh in about 60 i can't remember if it's 60 or 80 inmates will be part of this three-day retreat and it's if, if you're familiar with an axe retreat it's very similar to that and you start out each day uh we let all the volunteers line up and as the prisoners come in, you hug every prisoner, right? You hug everyone. Now, now some of them don't want to, but, but one of the ideas behind it is, is a lot of these guys have never really been touched. They've never been hugged in their life. They didn't have a father or a mother or anybody in their life that hugged them. And there was, there was times where I remember one, one guy came in and he very, very, shall we say very firmly, (laughs) told everybody don't touch me don't hug me so you know we're everybody respect second day he kind of opened up to it. third day he was he was hugging everybody and it's just you know it it, it, you what you were talking about reminded me of that is that yeah people you know people aren't just the way they are because that's how they were born they're uh, a, a lot of it has to do with the environment environmental factors around them and to a lot of these guys just take something as simple as a hug is very intimidating to them and Mm -hmm. uh because they've never really experienced love they've never experienced you know uh touch that was in in a good way you know it might be violent or or whatever in nature but anyway uh your 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 discussion there about your characters reminded me that this it, it really happens of people in real life. I mean, everybody has a chance to make that turn. It's just, are they willing and able to get, get, get around their, um, their shortcomings?
2: Well, that reminds me of a discussion. I have a lot of my friends are in the same boat as me. We're all uh, starting to have grandchildren now. And I look at our kids and our grandkids. And I think if every child on this planet was as loved and taken care of and respected as our grandchildren are, the entire planet would change overnight. Mm. if Everyone valued life from conception, through natural death and valued each human being at every stage in their life. What a difference it would be in this whole world.
0: No, definitely. And I I think it was Alexander Schultzenitsyn who said that the line between good and evil cuts down the center of every human heart. And I've always loved that saying because um, if, you, if you cut the world up into good guys and bad guys, that's dangerous because if you'll notice, you're always on the side of the good guys and you're yes, never one of the bad guys.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Whereas if you look at it more from the perspective of, and I love the way the church talks about this, we are good. Our nature is, is good, yes. Yes. But, it's, but it's fallen. We, we, we have an unnatural, and this is important, an unnatural attraction to evil. Mm-hmm. And when you look at it like that, you can look at. I, I think it it does cause more introspection about because it's okay to admit now. Yeah, I have done bad things. I've committed sins. It doesn't make me an evil person. Right. It just makes me a fallen creature in need of redemption. And there's it's just a much healthier way, and I think a truer way. Yeah. To approach yeah, that,
2: that. That reminds me of. I, I go to confession every month, usually first Friday, right? And I had a, a wonderful confession with a priest uh, at a retreat actually this year. And he, he said the most profound thing to me. It, it's like, he said, you're a good person who does some stupid things. <laughs> I said, you know what? You hit the nail on the head right there. I am a good person and I'm always trying to be good. And I'm always trying to, I'm a rule follower. But every once in a while, I just totally mess up and we all do. Right. And you know, I'm a sinner, like all of us are, that's why we have confession to go to every month so we can wipe the slate clean and start over again.
0: Absolutely. Um, I know I, am unfortunately this evening, I'm a hard out at at one hour. Mm -hmm. Amanda has spent some time with us. We've got about five minutes left. Um, Tell us, beyond the Civil War series, do you have any ideas for other projects that we should be on the lookout for that you're willing to share with us? Yes,
2: absolutely. My, well, so after the November 17th release, the next for sure date is September 1st, 2024. I have a book coming out called Lucky and Blessed.
0: And oh this goodness. was-
2: fascinating to write because it takes place in king henry the court
1: <laughs>
2: the young lady ends up there after the king has ordered her father to be executed because he was harboring monks during the dissolution of the monasteries mm. and he um had he had a, quite a high title in the in the, the kingdom but he also was still practicing the catholic faith and he when they dissolved the monasteries, there was thousands of of homeless people, basically nuns or sisters, sisters, nuns, priests, whatever monks. And they were the people that was kind of the infrastructure of England. They were the people that were educating children. They were taking care of people. They were running hospitals. It kind of eroded the whole fabric of the country. And this girl gets, invited basically kind of a long story how this happens, but she ends up in his court and the young man she meets was studying in the monastery, one of the monasteries that was destroyed. And it's a very fascinating story. I mean, I just loved writing it. And Oh my gosh, talk about the rabbit holes. You can go down when you study King Henry VIII. The most interesting thing about him to me is that until the day he died, he continued to practice Catholic faith in his closet <laughs> he yeah
0: interesting priest. i didn't hear i've never heard that
2: he was a daily communicant he had communion every day until and on his deathbed he had a catholic priest. he had a confession i cannot for the life of me find the name of his confessor that seems to be lost to time but and he composed songs supposedly he composed the song green sleeves he um he had the liturgy. Of the hours was by his bedside. He never stopped practicing, regardless of everything else. Starting oh, to the church, but that was mostly so that he could divorce his first wife to try to get a male heir. And you know yeah, how that the,
0: the the English Reformation, and at first at least, was not so much about reformed theology like it was in places like Geneva and, and Germany. It was more about excuse me, magisterial authority, who has the authority over the church in England.
2: Right. Um,
0: and, and to this day, if I'm understanding correct, the Church of England considers themselves part of the Catholic Church. Um, but in their theology, the king is the head of the church in England. And, right. you know, there's all kinds of, uh, of course, there are. Yeah, I think it goes anymore. They're they're full on Protestants now, but um,
1: yeah, and and I think all those beliefs because uh, I've heard a few different versions of that. I I guess they kind of go in different directions, but yeah. Um, <laughs> King Henry the Eighth is my favorite rabbit hole.
0: I think oh my my, my favorite portrayal of him, and I, it's probably very flawed and not very historically accurate, was uh, his character in um, A Man for All Seasons which uh-huh. is how I always pictured Henry VIII, just a syphilitic madman towards the end of, of, of his reign. Uh-huh. That That's an overly simplistic, obviously, um, way to approach it. So I'll be interested to to see um, your portrayal yeah. of, of Henry.
2: Yeah, well, she, this young lady is in the court when he is married to Catherine Howard, which was his fifth wife. Uh, very interesting because she was very young when they married, she lied about her age. I, she was probably maybe 14, 15 years old when they got married. it's very interesting behind the scenes. It was just so fun to, to research. The interesting thing too, is it's a 250 page book. I have 125 pages of notes that I took. Oh my goodness. And just everything. I actually read speeches of King Henry just to see how we actually spoke. Did he say vowel, you know, that kind of stuff? No, he didn't really speak. He spoke pretty much like the vernacular. Um, but, yeah, I just loved the research part, and I, I just loved writing the book. I was glad when it was finished, and glad when I did the, my favorite part of writing books is when you get to do the first round of revisions, when I can kind of polish it up. But I'm very happy with the book right now, so I'm super excited when that comes out next year.
1: Well, I did I did want to ask you before we have to drop off here. Um, so Royal and Ancient comes out October 2nd, which I believe is yeah. next Tuesday, you said. Right. Um, where can people buy the book, and will they also be able to buy it on their electronic apps, such yep, as absolutely. Kindle and stuff like that?
2: Sure. Yeah. The easiest way to get the book is to go to Amandalower.com because all my books are on there. You can also go to chrismpress.com because Chrism is—they're the ones who publish it—or also Amazon, and it'll be available in Kindle, and it will be available in paperback, and so yeah.
0: Well, I we forgot Joy. to we forgot to pray at the beginning of the episode yes. but we we at least I forgot to pray that was my fault which is weird because she had just asked me, <laughs> are you guys gonna say a prayer at the beginning of the episode And I said sure and then I totally spaced on it okay. uh, but we we can pray at the end of our episode uh, so let me uh, let's go ahead and and say a quick prayer of thanksgiving to the Holy Ghost for this wonderful conversation and for our good friend Amanda Amanda Lauer coming and visiting us on our on our new show, text Catherine, and you're welcome back anytime. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe yeah, the definitely. third time,
1: maybe the third time she comes on, we'll have a third name.
0: <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, no more rebrand. Hopefully, no, so hopefully no more. Uh, so go ahead and join along with us as we say a quick uh, prayer of Thanksgiving to the Holy Ghost. In omnipatris et Filii et spiritu sancti, Amen. Vini sancti Spiritus, recipla tua corda fideliem et tuia moris in aeternum machende. Imite spiritum tuum et creabuntur et renovabis faciam tere. Oremos. Deus qui corda sancti spiritus illustrationi docuisti. da nobis seniorem spiritu recta sapere. Et de eos semper consolationi gadere per Christum Dominum nostrum. Amen. Nome patris et filii et spiritus sancti. Amen. Amanda, thank you so much for coming on. This was great. I really enjoyed it.
2: Thank you so much. Thank I you, Amanda. You. Inviting me back. It's always so much fun to talk to you guys. So I look forward to the
0: next conversation. (laughs) Absolutely. And thanks everybody for joining us in the chat. And hopefully next time we do a live episode, I will have a little bit more time. I apologize, but, and maybe we'll do it a little bit earlier so that we can uh, stay a little bit longer, but
2: thanks everybody.
0: Uh, May almighty God bless you. May our lady keep you. And remember life is hard, but it's harder when you don't pray the rosary. Everybody have a great evening.